0: Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vicini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, guy I've been wanting to get on for a long, long time. It is Anthony Slater, our writer. I don't know, who are you covering now? It feels like you've got everyone. You've got the Warriors, you've got the Suns, you've got uh, a wide swath of the West Coast, let's call it, right?
1: Yes, just give me that region. Uh, No, I honestly probably would have stretched out a bit more this season, but I've kind of had to hyper-focus because... This Warriors team that I thought was, I don't know, like four or five seed felt optimistic is suddenly was 18 and two. Now they're 18 and three. Um, And look again, it feels a little dynasty days where I just most of my time just kind of has to be around them.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad thing. You get to sit at home and, you know, obviously you're working. But like, you know, you've been around the block. You like to travel a little bit on the beat, I'm sure. But I don't know. I'm a a homebody. I like to stay home. That's why I could never do the job that you do. Like, this is a, it's tough.
1: I, well, I mean, I, what I don't, uh, I guess I, I don't envy for you is like your, your timing. Like, what, what time is it, like does a West Coast NBA game tip off for you? Or East tips Coast, off I don't know what's a West,
0: Yeah, West Coast game's a good question. So, a West Coast game tips off probably around like 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, typically.
1: A.M., right? You're 1 a.m.? No, P.M.? No. Oh, okay. That's really nice then. No, it's the so, best like okay now i I do envy you what is my bad never mind
0: (laughs) this is the dream like i get to wake up and i start basketball like the time there's like obviously a two-hour time difference throughout the year like sometimes i'm eight hours different from the east coast sometimes i'm 10 hours different and the 10-hour ones can be a little bit wonky because then like i have to wake up and be ready to watch basketball at you know 8 a.m. sometimes and then the ncaa tournament uh for me particularly like with college basketball it can get frustrating because saturdays end up being crazy like starting at noon right so i feel like i end up missing like a lot of the news cycle during college basketball saturdays but for the nba it's great like i wake up and it's nine o'clock and i'm rolling baby
1: yeah that's sweet it's almost like it what it is for me as a west coast like if i'm watching the nfl game started right. at 10 a.m that's nice but, yeah, no, it's been it's it's been good around this team. I cannot complain, even though I'm on the road again a bit more. Now, po- I'm not going to say post-pandemic, but at least we're traveling like it's post-pandemic yeah. world. Uh, it's been good to be back on the road, but it definitely wears on you.
0: Yeah, I can buy that for sure. Like I said, like, I, I'm someone who likes to sit at home. And, uh, you know, I like to go out. Like, my wife and I are going to dinner tonight. We're going to go to the movies at some point this weekend. But, like... Uh, I I wouldn't want to be traveling around the country the whole time either. But that's neither here nor there. We're going to do an NBA-focused podcast. For the most part, it's going to be on the Western Conference and particularly the teams at the top of the Western Conference. But we're going to hit a couple of injury news and notes, things at the top from the East that just occurred over the last 48 hours as well. We're going to start with Michael Porter. We're going to go into... Brooke Lopez, we're going to go into Bam Adebayo's thumb surgery. And then we're going to talk a lot about the Warriors and Suns. And then we might hit the Timberwolves at the end as well. We will see. But let's start with the Michael Porter news, because I feel like that is the biggest thing that has occurred that actually impacts the long-term future of the NBA over the course of the last week. So Michael Porter has just today had his third back surgery, or at least the Nuggets announced today that he has had his third back surgery. Uh, Obviously with Michael Porter Jr., this has been a recurring issue going back to his days at Missouri. Uh, This is the reason he fell to number 14 in the draft. Uh, Teams did not love what they saw in terms of the future viability of his back whenever they got uh, the scans and gotten his testing results and everything like that pre-draft. Uh, this was a guy that throughout his entire high school career was considered a likely top five pick and then gets injured in his first game at Missouri against Iowa state hurts his back and he comes from a family as well, it's worth mentioning, that doesn't have the cleanest injury track record. Obviously, his brother Jonte has had multiple ACL tears. He has two sisters as well that were high-level college basketball players that have ACL tears as well. None of this stopped the Denver Nuggets from giving Michael Porter Jr. a five-year, $172 million max contract earlier this some or earlier this fall, I guess it was. When you saw that Michael Porter had this third back surgery, let's start with it from Porter's perspective. I mean, this is a guy that averaged nineteen points, seven rebounds last year. After after Jamal Murray went out, he averaged twenty three and a half points. Uh, was unbelievable uh, offensively, at least during that last little push. I mean. W- where do we think this leaves Michael Porter at this point? Because it
1: just feels like an enormous question mark to me. Well, I'm, even before it w- he left, uh, you know, and, and disappeared really for a few weeks while he was trying to figure out what was going on. Like he wasn't playing that well. And I think we can now trace back yeah. like, well, you know, the back probably had something to do with it. Um, well, and it funny, he-
0: like the, the play that people point to is the transition dunk that happened against Houston, uh, I think it was like very, very early in the game and he gets a run out and he tries to lift up off of his, whatever. I I thought he like pulled a hamstring or something and people were like, Oh my God, look at this idiot. He just screwed up this dunk. And I was like, that looks like a dude that's hurt. Like I don't
1: Was that, that was his last play, right? That's the last time we saw him.
0: Yeah. Like, and then they like brought him back really quickly in the game. I don't know if it was his last play, but it was certainly the last game he played. Uh, with that it it was bizarre and yeah it felt like SportsCenter like tweeted it out like oh my god what is Michael Porter Jr. doing here like how did he screw this up and it's like no that's this is bad like this is back injury guys
1: for a guy with the history of it uh, which is the big concern but I mean look as somebody who's covering the you know who covers really the top of the west and and I'm trying to figure out the title contenders non-contenders and just like the stratification of the west and my first thought now you know he's pretty much out for the year and how careful they should be with it um you knocked Denver, off the, you know they were already teetering because we don't even know what Jamal Murray. I mean, theoretically it could be an April May return, but I think at this point Denver organizationally will probably needs to take a step back from this season. Um, and you know, as somebody like again who covers the West, knock them off the ledger for this season, and then you go longer term. And this is in the Porter lens, but this is also in just like the Denver title contention lens. And I do think it was a window, right? I mean, in the bubble there in the West Finals, and actually I thought played the Lakers pretty well in that series, and then even last season when. when. When they executed the Aaron Gordon trade, it was kind of their all-in move. And for that brief period before Jamal Murray gets hurt, actually in San Francisco, I was at the game. um, They actually look like, you know, they could be a challenger. And it ended up being a West that they probably could have won if they were full strength. I mean, you know, Phoenix won it. They're solid. We'll get to Phoenix. But um, I just kind of – you start to view where Porter's career might be going – Um, The fact that we don't even know what Jamal Murray will look like when he comes back. And you start to get more concerned about just Denver's title window.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I've been trying to figure out, do you write them off for this year or not? Because we don't know when Jamal Murray's going to be back, right? Like, the reports are April right now, if I remember correctly, which... He would tore a, it
1: in April, May. Like I, I, it was very late in the season. I was at the game, and I know that was like. Remember, the regular season actually dipped into like mid-May last year. So yeah, it was. Re- I think he probably had the surgery. Like we could say late April. I think.
0: Yeah, and I think that the recent reports. I think I saw this from Mike Singer with the Denver Post that they're hoping for April 2022 is when he'll be back, and if he's back for like the last five games of the regular season, I don't know, like. Maybe I'm being optimistic and just kind of hoping that this Denver team can figure it out. But like, it feels like this well, year what, probably what about is a no, write-off. What huh? about
1: with no? What about with no Porter now? That, that's what I mean. To me, we were already like, yeah. man, this has to go right. This has to go right. This has to go right for them to even, you know, be considered as an upset potential. Because I saw them in that that second round series against Phoenix last year. Obviously, no Murray, but you know, like they just like Jokic can only do so much. Um, and yeah. I just. PJ Dozier oh, yeah. just towards ACL not that that's some like catastrophic thing for uh the team but it's just like the depth pieces and and the fact that Murray can't you know if you were going to carve out a path for Denver to stun us and and win the west. It would include like Jamal Murray playing like 38 to 40 minutes and like scoring like 28 a game or something in the playoffs. <laughs> and that's just I don't I mean he was so good in the bubble, right? That was why yeah. they got to the West Finals. Uh and like I just can't see that Jamal Murray showing up in May 2022. Maybe May yeah. 2023, but uh not this year, I don't think.
0: I look, I think you're probably right. The pro- Part of the problem is that, like, I've now made it a policy to just not bet against Nikola Jokic in the playoffs because he's just been so freaking dominant every single time that he stepped on the court. Now, the Suns did a pretty good job with him last year, and they are built in many ways because of DeAndre Ayton to be able to cause him more issues than what he's typically going to face. Uh Yeah, I mean, look, like, Jamal Murray would have to be 100%, I think. I'll be honest, I didn't really see them as a dark horse contender if Jamal Murray was going to be back and at, like, 90% for the playoffs. It seems like that window has kind of been pushed back from what, like, the most optimistic... development tracks were in terms of rehabilitation tracks were in terms of his injury throughout the course of the year. Uh, You know, it seems like, oh, we're hoping maybe March and now it seems like it's, you know, hopefully April. I I don't know. I think you're probably right that it's unlikely that they can win the title this year. I'm more interested long term because I feel like people Denver, people were looking at Denver at the very least as a real potential hey, this could be a juggernaut in the West going forward with Michael Porter Jr. Aaron Gordon has fit in seamlessly there. He's been unbelievable, I think, throughout the course of this year at doing all of the little stuff, all of the glue guy stuff, all of the dirty work. Uh, You pair that with Michael Porter Jr. in the front court, it's exactly what Michael Porter Jr. needs to succeed. You throw in Jamal Murray, maybe you go out and you make one more move. That's a team that should be competing for the West title year in, year out. At least for the next four years, while they have Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. under contract, and you assume that Nikola Jokic is going to resign at some point, uh, I don't know. It's in—it's interesting at this point. Like, how, how does this affect their long-term trajectory uh, going forward? Do, do we think that they are still seen in the same light as a long-term contender in the West?
1: I think it's on it's on pause. Um, and, you know, I covered yeah. the last half of Kevin Durant's tenure in Oklahoma City. I'm not necessarily comparing both, but, you know, Durant and Westbrook Harden, that they obviously pushed into the finals in 2012, and the thought right then was like, you're going to see them here for the next yeah. half decade. And then, you know, injuries along the way. Westbrook had a few knee surgeries. Durant had a few foot surgeries. Serge Ibaka got injured at a bad time. There was just – right. there's several injury reasons why – they in the meat of that Durant era just you know were basically taken out of the picture for for a handful of years and then at the end the last Durant season finally yeah. they were healthy again and boom they popped up and like you know we're really a Clay Thompson volcano away from uh, going to the finals <laughs> maybe winning the finals in 2016 yeah. then Durant leaves so I would say we might see Denver again, but you know Michael Porter needs to solve this back issue. Like Jamal Murray needs to, uh, whatever it takes to get him to me by the time next season comes around, whatever it, it takes for Jamal Murray to get back to feeling like himself, that has to happen. And then you know once maybe that all coalesces, maybe we see them in a West Finals as a you know a, a big time contender in, in a year or two. Um, but at the same time, Nikola Jokic's clock. Then starts ticking a little bit like Durant's was ticking by the end, where it finally felt like the Thunderhead coalesced again into what we thought they were going to be. But then, boom, you know, the the Warriors knock them off and Durant's gone. And then they're never really to be seen again. So, I, you know, that's just a parallel I would kind of look at.
0: The thing with the Nuggets, too, and this will be where we finish before we move on to the Bucks and Brooke Lopez, because apparently today is back surgery day in the NBA. Uh, the Nuggets throughout the course of the early portion of this year, really got by defensively. They just kind of made it work, right? They were a top five defense throughout the first like 10 games of the season. You look at the last 10 games of the year uh, that they've played so far, I believe, what, that'd be going back three weeks now. They're dead last in the NBA. They're allowing 116.2 points per 100 possessions in their last 10 games, and that's just not the way that they can live. Uh, they, they really need to tighten up defensively and then just hope Jokic can carry them home offensively. We will see if that occurs. Let's go to Brooke Lopez and Milwaukee. Now, Brooke Lopez has just had back surgery and Milwaukee is fine. They've been fine so far this year. Got the big win a couple of nights ago and... Something just feels a little bit different about this team this year to me, just based off of what we've seen so far. Part of it is that I just don't want to like be the overreaction guy a quarter of the way through the season with a Milwaukee team that had Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday play deep into the summer uh, with the Olympic team. And Drew Holiday particularly put some pretty tough miles on his body during the Olympics, having to play as many minutes as he did I always kind of thought they were going to start slow. The thing is that Giannis has just kind of carried them the whole way. Like, I think that there's a very real case that he is the best player in the league along with Steph and along with Kevin Durant. I I would say that that is your clear top three in the NBA right now. And Giannis has just been so good on both ends of the court that they've been able to get by, but there are some like cracks in the champion armor i would say and and, uh, i'd be interested to hear what your impressions have been of milwaukee so far
1: i'm not really worried about the regular season bucks you know they had some uh issues early on like middleton missed a a chunk of time with covid right i think it was um you know and again holiday uh was out early with lopez um after I, i think some of that is maybe the wear and tear of of their packed summer schedule. Um, you know, I think they're going to float through the regular season and Giannis is such a force. He will drag them to a decent seed, I think. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, if, if we just are talking Lopez, yeah, there's gotta be concern on Lopez. I actually, when they signed to Marcus cousins, I was like, you know, something must be going on with Brooke Lopez. Right. I mean, like, yeah, they're, they're, um, that's then, when, you yeah, know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, a couple of days later, it's back surgery with kind of an, you know, undefined timeline to return. Yeah. you would start to think about like my question would be let's just say they didn't have Brook Lopez in the playoffs. Um Giannis can play a lot of uh, you know small ball 5 uh and really against Phoenix I thought you know a lot of their in the finals I thought they one with brooke lopez off the floor so i'm not like erasing their you know their title chances if we knew brooke lopez wasn't going to be there in the playoffs but it does take away one of their you know it chips away at one of their strengths which is just size you know when i think about maybe a yeah. warriors buck series i'm like you know they're just gonna to have to deal with just like that mammoth strength of of milwaukee and that's mostly honest but it's just like the fact that brooke lopez can be out there for 25 to 35 minutes a game usually um and i'm just you know he's a guy who's had. You know, we talk about Michael Porter, like Brooke Lopez hasn't had back issues, but he's had foot issues and he's getting yep. older and he's just kind of like a got a big body that you could just see, you know, it, it might have trouble aging. Um, and totally that would be vulnerable, you know, Milwaukee's a bit more vulnerable, you know, if if uh Brooke Lopez is just either hindered or just not there in the playoffs. So, here
0: are the two things that worry me based off of that first, they don't have PJ Tucker this year, and he was the critical piece, I thought, that they acquired midseason last year that made those small ball lineups as effective as they were. Like, we can talk all we want about, like, P.J. Tucker's ineffectiveness offensively, but NBA players respect him to some extent uh, on offense as a corner three-point shooter at the, at the very least. Uh, and then on top of it... His defensive toughness, particularly in that series against Kevin Durant, look, Kevin Durant murdered them in that series. But if they don't have P.J. Tucker, I think he murders them to the point where they get eliminated in the second round of the NBA playoffs. So I get why people still devalue that to some extent and devalue P.J. Tucker, but I think that's a mistake. The second thing here is that you look at the Bucks' defense over the course of the last few years, it's been built by shutting down the area around the rim. So far this season, Milwaukee has not really done that. You look at their stats the last couple of years, they finished first in percentage allowed around the basket uh, on non-post-ups according to Synergy in half-court settings in 2019-20. They finished second in that number last season. Right now, they're 20th in the NBA in that number, and that's the result of not having Brook Lopez. Now, Giannis is doing every single thing he can. I think that Giannis would be a top three defensive player of the year guy right now. I I would say Draymond Green would be first, and I would want to get some leeway to think about first place or second place a little bit more, but Giannis is certainly in that conversation so far. He's doing an incredible job just keeping them afloat while Drew Holiday has been out, while Brooke Lopez has been out, while Chris Middleton has missed some time. They've just been, they've had so many guys in and out of the lineup that I think it's kind of tough. But man, look, Giannis is a superhero, like in a lot of ways, but the fact that, you know, he played deep into last season and has had to put some tough miles on his body early this season, it's not ideal I guess is what I would say if I'm Milwaukee. None of this is ideal. And I feel like they're going to have to go out and make another move here in order to kind of shore up either their small ball defensive lineups that they can play in the playoffs or the center position. And maybe it will be DeMarcus Cousins, but I have some questions about that, I would say.
1: The, the marathons wear on you the seasons uh you yeah. know I, I cover the you know the the dynasty warriors every season afterwards there's just was more physically tired more mentally yeah. tired and you know it's kind of what we're mentioning with with a lot of these milwaukee players uh, but you know there are different ways to win in the nba and i do think you're correct in the way that like lopez being out kind of impacts the way budenholzer kind of wants to defend right yeah um uh, but you know, to me, if if Budenholzer could show his adaptability, like there are different ways for like I think they have the components to to win in a fun small ball way. I mean, is there a better small ball five in the league that, than Giannis? And obviously you got wings, you got Drew Holiday. I mean, what kind of type of uh, you yeah. know, small ball environment yeah. guard is that? Uh so I you know, it might test Budenholzer a little bit more, but I, I think if the Bucks went into the playoffs and you guaranteed me healthy Giannis Healthy Drew Holiday, healthy Chris Middleton, and you know generally some of those fringe pieces, the Bobby Portis, is even the Grayson Allen who's hit a bunch of threes this year. Yeah, those guys yeah. are there. Maybe Divincenzo's back. I don't know what what his status is the, exactly at this point, but um, that's still like you could concoct that into a tough playoff team to face, uh, even without Brooke Lopez.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Like I, I don't want to overreact to it, but it it does create more wear and tear. I think. And I think that that's a really good way to kind of finish it. You know, for all of these injury issues, for all of these missing guys that have been in and out of the lineup for Milwaukee so far, they're still third in the East, which is crazy and says so much about just like the competence level. They're a game and a half out of first place right now. And one of the teams they're essentially tied with is Washington uh, for second place.
1: I would also say to them, and I think they're probably operating under this assumption, don't obsess over the first seed. Don't obsess over second or third. Right. If, you're, if you're the fifth seed going into the playoffs, but Giannis is refreshed, that's more dangerous than, you know, Giannis is tiring you into, you know, he's dragged you yeah. to the second seed just to get game one in Milwaukee. Like, no, you'd, you you'd need to, you know, really kind of pick and choose your moments in this regular season. If that means a three-game losing streak in February, uh, okay, whatever, as long as yeah. you know you're in the playoffs.
0: Okay, the last injury issue that has come up in the East is Bam Adebayo. He's going to miss four to six weeks with thumb surgery. This one actually does concern me a little bit more because A, Bam Adebayo, better player than Michael Porter Jr. and Brooke Lopez. B, Miami's depth is just not there. And they are the kind of team that I think really will struggle uh, to manage the loss of bam at bio they've lost four out of six recently uh dwayne Dedman is their starting center like there was a point a couple years ago where i thought dwayne deadman's nba career might have been done they they need to go out and find someone in the front court because right now it's like dwayne Dedman, It's i think they're gonna are they trying Morris. Yurt seven
1: i think Yurt seven's being attempted yeah, I was going to say
0: like, you're going to try Omer Yurtsevin and like, by all means, Omer Yurtsevin like had a great summer league and we'll see if he can execute like some of the versatile defensive structures that Miami tends to like to run, especially with Bam. Um, I'm a little bit worried about Miami because they just have much less margin for error than other teams. Because I would have thought that, like, they would have liked to have ridden Bam at a bio like 30 to 35 minutes a night, almost all 82 games, in order to get guys like Kyle Lowry a game of rest here or there, Jimmy Butler a game of rest here or there, uh, and hope that they can get to the playoffs, you know, in one piece and then, uh, play the kind of versatile lineups and be the kind of tough mismatch nightmary team that they have potential to be in the playoffs. The Bam Adebayo injury, I think, does throw things a little bit for a loop on that front.
1: Yeah, I would expect a rough patch. And I mean, I generally agree with you that like if if Adebayo was just taken off the table, then this is more hurt, much more hurtful than than Lopez or, or Porter. But I w- what I would say that obvious difference is like, you know, Porter and and Lopez are dealing with back injuries where they've they got to be immobile. You know, Ben right. was is just dealing with a hand injury. He could stay yeah. in shape. You know, I, I've done, you'd be around totally. guys who, who get hand injuries in the past and it's like, they could sit there and, and run on the treadmill. They could do a bunch of court work. And then it's basically once the hand heals, obviously you got to do some strengthening stuff, but you can pretty much get right back on the court. So, um, I, you know, this is this is going to be on Butler and Lowry a little bit. Maybe you could do some PJ Tucker small ball five and, and just like the Miami yep. culture to just over the next, let's say, 20 games, try to get them at 10 and 10 over that stretch. You know, that and then I, th- you know, out of bio should be back by what February. Um, I think probably.
0: Yeah, probably. that'd be that'd be about the window. It'd be early yeah. February, it feels So. Like.
1: So, I mean, look, if there's, a, if there's a deal out there to be made that, that you could boost your front court, make it. But I don't necessarily think it's like a must. To me, it's just like, hey, you know, these dudes that are just built their entire careers on like survival and like physicality and <laughs> yeah. and winning games yeah. that maybe they're underdogs in, like just go do that for, for a month and a half and then you'll get out of bio back. Um, and in general... You know, as we talk about it, just you just want to be there for the playoffs and seeding doesn't matter. Maybe they're the sixth seed. Would you want to face the six seed Miami? Um, you know, that's healthy. That that'd be a scary thought for you know whoever's up at three.
0: Yeah, I absolutely would not want to face the six seed Miami. What, what worries me is, look, I mean, we're a quarter of the way through the season. We're so early. I would expect Miami makes the playoffs and not the play in. But like, the East is deeper this year. Uh, yeah. Atlanta right now is in the play in. Boston right now is in the play in. The Knicks right now are in the play in. this does not account for Philadelphia, who is sitting in eleventh in the East, uh because Joel Embiid has missed quite a bit of time.
1: <sighs> like it's jumbled. And you and you do want to like the the main goal now of the regular season it is obviously flip from eight seed to now sixth seed. You just do not want to be in yeah. the play in. Uh and you know, maybe they have such a rough, you know patch over the next uh month and a half that that they are in the playing range but even if you are particularly if you're the seven or eight you get two games to win one and then you're yep. in so uh it's not a death sentence at all this it, no. this Autobio news is rough for them and they're going to need to kind of survive uh but i still like i still long term view them as dangerous as i did
0: yeah no I, I view them as just as dangerous as i did in the playoffs i just uh I think that this, this might make it significantly harder on them because I, I think that instead of the playoffs being almost assured, I don't think the playoffs are an assured thing right now. I, I would say that they're going to have to, like, make sure that they stay out of the play-in. Like, they're going to have to play hard to stay out of the play-in range, uh, this which is... Uh... is It's setting up for
1: Jimmy Butler's dark horse MVP ride, right? I mean, he's already getting some early season buzz. If he can just, you know, keep them afloat right now, maybe he'll really get into the conversation.
0: Yeah, I agree with that for sure. Let's uh, let's take a quick commercial break, and then we're going to talk about the two teams that you just saw earlier this week, and we'll see later this week as well. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server encrypting it in the process. This is gonna hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all gonna get blocked. It's like having a shop blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're gonna get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to NordVPN.com slash GameTheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, With Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord, and it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash gametheory okay we're back here with Anthony Slater and uh, Slater was lucky enough to go to Phoenix to see what I I would say it's the game of the season thus far at least the most anticipated game of the NBA season thus far the at the time 18 and 2 Golden State Warriors riding what a seven game win streak going into that game against, I believe it was an 18-2, and 17-2 Phoenix Suns team that was riding a 14-game win streak going into that game. Uh, 16, actually. That, that made it 16. 17
1: straight. Uh, and they're Yikes. playing the Pistons tonight as we're talking. If that's a win, they could be coming back to San Francisco at 19, which is crazy. That's
0: crazy. It's absolutely nuts. Basically, since the Robert Sarver investigation began, the Suns have been uh, an unbelievable force of efficiency and play on both ends of the court. Uh, let's just start with the game on Wednesday. What was your immediate? Or no, I guess it was Tuesday now. Uh, Australia has the days just totally fucked up. It's the worst. Yeah. Uh, let's start with uh, let's start with your takeaways from that game on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, um I thought it was Phoenix's defense was my main takeaway. Yeah. Just that, you know, I, Warriors played a pretty good defensive game. You know, they were top defense coming in. I thought they held Phoenix down, but they just they had trouble scoring. And we've seen I've seen so much this year. The Warriors just blowing teams out, mostly, you know, mid to lower tier teams who just don't know how to cover Steph Curry and I don't even just mean like they can't and guard Steph Curry one on one like all the Steph Curry off ball action and then all the stuff that comes from that the slips the the pin downs the misdirection yeah. some of the Draymond Green stuff like young defenders or just bad defenders are just lost out there and the Warriors you know that's why I believe they entered with the third best offense but as we've seen in a couple of their losses this season and as we've seen in years and years past um, when they play tougher veteran defenses who study up on, the, on some of that uh, you know, Kerr read and react system stuff. They just have a tougher time because, you know, particularly with Phoenix, I, they switched a bunch. And when you switch, you're trying to drag teams to, to beat you, you know, in isolation settings. And the right. Warriors, you know, not, without Kevin Durant, the non-Kevin Durant Warriors have always had a tough time just like breaking you down one-on-one. Not only because they just, you know, Clay Thompson's not really that guy. Steph Curry can be, but Steve Kerr doesn't really like to let him be at times. Or, right. you know, Curry himself uh, doesn't necessarily. And I just... Mikel Bridges, you know, as, as the primary Steph guy, I, I was very impressed with the way he was able to, you know, navigate screens and, and, and know exactly some of the, you know, Steph's tricks and just use that length to bother Steph. And then DeAndre Ayton on switches, you know, a yeah. few times. You could tell they were trying to drag Ayton out. Um, and he he held his own. He even blocked the Steph Curry, like, you know, 28-footer. I I don't remember the last time a center was able to get out and do that. Um, and then, you know, there were some times where Steph got by him. But even one time Steph gets by Ayton And he's going to the rim for a layup. And then Bridges comes over weak side and blocks a shot. And I'm like, you know, like it it was just a lot of that in that Phoenix setting, which was it was a great environment in Phoenix. And it was just our first taste of like if this is a playoff matchup. And at this point, it seems like the likeliest, I guess, West finals. uh, It could be really fun series. And I think that's that's the Warriors biggest thing they need to solve, like how to score against Phoenix's defense.
0: Yeah. And I mean, Devin Booker obviously leaves that game midway through with a hamstring uh, what are we calling it hamstring tightness soreness right now is that the current designation
1: uh it is they said hamstring soreness and like the general vibe from phoenix is it's not that serious but i do not expect he's it sounds like he's not going to play in this rematch on friday
0: which honestly like look it, we need more regular season games that matter i kind of love it though like, I, I kind of love that we now are going to go into the playoffs in all likelihood, uh, not truly having seen a Golden State-Phoenix matchup at full strength, right? Like, there, there's more uncertainty going into the playoffs now, if and when these two teams, which again, like you said, seem certainly like the best teams in the NBA yeah. right now and are certainly the best teams in the NBA right now, at least. Well, uh,
1: the uh, the dream scenario over the next month is Clay Thompson returns and Devin Booker's totally. back by Christmas because they're playing 2 p.m. Uh, you know local on ABC on Christmas. It's kind of like the mark one of the marquee games. Yeah,
0: you're right. That's- I forgot that they play on Christmas.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's it's a big game. It's I think the NBA kind of I don't want to say stumbled into it because they're like you know Warriors <laughs> are fun. Phoenix was the West yeah. finalist, but to me, I, I can't remember who. I think is it Lakers, Clippers that day. Like, there's one bigger. You know, that was viewed as the NBA's marquee game where I think, you know, they just ESPN just bumped off Lakers Clippers on Friday night for Warrior Suns, which was actually a league pass game was the last time the Lakers got bumped off national.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a choice. I I would imagine that uh, LeBron's COVID issues right now played a role in uh, in being able to do that at this point. But yeah, I'm glad you brought up the Phoenix defense. I think that that is the thing that just like totally has continued to blow me away. I thought that, you know, you mentioned Mikael Bridges, that Aiton was the guy to me. Like, I thought he was unbelievable. That that game was like in one single 48-minute, you know, stretch. Every reason why the Suns should have no issue giving DeAndre Ayton a max contract. Uh, and I think that some team will this summer, and I think that the Suns will end up giving him a max contract. Uh, You know, I think it'll probably be one of those auto porter type deals where there are poison pills attached to it and a player option in year four. And um, it'll make it harder for the Suns to keep Aiton for five years as opposed to three years, which they could have done by signing him to an extension. But I also think that at the end of the day, like this is a no-brainer, Max guy, in today's league particularly, just due to the way that he can impact the game defensively as a switchable center. Uh, I remember when DeAndre was coming into the NBA. I mean, this is a guy that people like murdered defensively. Like they, they thought he was terrible on defense. They thought it was an awful number one overall pick because of the defensive side of the floor. And look, I think that there was some reactivity stuff around the rim that was a concern, But you looked at the way that he switched at Arizona. I mean, he essentially played the power forward spot next to like a big seven foot Serbian kid named Dusan Ristic at the center position and had to guard on the perimeter regularly at Arizona. He had to hard hedge and recover out in Sean Miller's ball screen system and showed that he was as mobile as he is. And you just look at the way the NBA was going. I always thought that he was going to be at least an average, if not a plus defender going forward because... Having guys like that who are seven foot tall, who then also can seal off and finish and take advantage of mismatches on the block or in pick and roll settings off of switches. I mean, those guys are worth their weight in gold at this point. Like, I thought that DeAndre Ayton was absolutely incredible. You, you mentioned all of him being able to defend in space against Stephen Curry I mean, that's like the that's the test right now in the NBA. That's like the number one thing that a switch center needs to or doesn't even need to be able to do. But it's like the expert level, uh, you know, level at the end of a video game. Right. Where you have to beat the final boss. Stephen Curry is the final boss when it comes to defending in space in the NBA, I think. And uh, DeAndre Ayton acquitted himself incredibly well. And I think that the other thing that you saw with DeAndre is... Something, again, that you mentioned that I think was really, really smart. The Warriors run all sorts of weird just slip actions. And they run all sorts of misdirection stuff. And Draymond Green and Stephen Curry have, like, some fucking mind meld shit going on where they've played together for a decade and they know where each other's going to be. And uh, I thought that Ayton didn't get lost on really any of that stuff, which is a credit to him. And I think it's really remarkable. Yeah.
1: He, you know, it's this summer, um, because you know, there's, there's thought with eight around the warriors that like, maybe James Wiseman could like, you know, m- arrive that, on a similar yeah. developmental curve, obviously. Um, so I went back and watched a bunch of eight rookie film and it is really bad. You know, he just doesn't yeah, know where yeah, he yeah. is. He's on like the 28th ranked defense. I mean, Phoenix stunk that year, lottery team. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, basically like you could tell he doesn't know schemes but he's also just doing weird stuff like he's trying to like you know inter- intercept the guards like crossover and and just diving on the floor when there was no reason to uh and yep. he has made such a leap o- over a few years and um he, it's, I was talking to somebody within the Suns actually after the game like oh man how good did Aiton look and there was definitely like a man I just wish he could bring that every night but then there you know because he has not been like unbelievable to start the season he was no, in that game yeah. he's been fine. and yeah yeah, yeah but it, I think there was more of a man if we got that Aiton every night like you know yeah. think of and then it was like well it was a big game and you'd rather if a guy's going to show up only for moments you would rather he showed up for the big moments and he yeah. that's what he see that's you know reputationally that's kind of what he's building because um lights came on in the playoffs last year and he was better than he'd ever been and I, that's something you know as you talk about you know max deals uh the max deal for him that's if he's just going to show up when it matters most, that's all you really need. I mean, they're going to be a good seed in the playoffs and and if yep. the playoffs and those big time moments bring it out of him and he is that type of player like that was a great environment the other night and like a, like you said, a tricky team and he was just alert and aware and, and, and oh. physical, right? You know, he was he was getting Dray, a few times he got Draymond deep in the paint for a hook shot like you know, big struggle to do that. Nikola Jokic struggles to do that um, and yeah. it's just, it was really impressive. It's round one I'm, I'm very curious. Now, you know, they go back to san francisco you're gonna have a little bit more of a motivated warriors they don't want to be swept in this like one two yeah. they're gonna you know they're gonna watch film and scheme up a little bit i do i could see them targeting Ayton with some other different you know misdirection stuff because they have counters off of their counters i want to see him in that you know play friday night but in general like if this was a playoff series we'd be you know between games one and two we would be talking about like the adjustments the warriors need to make to Aton and i haven't talked about a traditional center like that with the warriors in a while Yeah,
0: you know, it was interesting. Like, with Aiton, I think for a long time, people thought, you know, to bring it back to Draymond Green, you've heard Draymond Green talk about the 82-game player versus the 16-game player, probably as much as any media member, and... I, I mean, I think that the concern with DeAndre was that he's an 82-game player, not a 16-game guy. And then the lights came on last year, like you said, and it was just abundantly clear that was he's like, oh, a 16-game 16 16,
1: player. And he's not an 82-game player. He's actually better in the 16. That's what it seemed. Draymond Green's right. the belief is Draymond Green coined that phrase because he told Larry Harris that and then Larry Harris relayed it to us. Is that true? As somebody who's in draft world, do you think Draymond Green coined the 16-game phrase? Look, I've always kind of attributed it
0: to Draymond, but like, I don't know, man. Like, you'd know that better than I do because you know, it, it is like, the it, man.
1: I put it out there through, you know, it was when Draymond, you know, and this is, it's funny that this is, it's when Draymond drafted Jacob Evans. I don't want to say Draymond did, but he was part of the draft team that came to the and consensus that they were. By wanted... the way,
0: I really liked Jacob Evans too. Like, I, I was there with Dre on that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But the belief then was they were drafting a plug-and-play, like, you know, older prospect that they could use in the 16-game schedule. Uh, You know, the 16-win, it should be. But uh, And I, I put that out there, and then that became a, a coined term from Draymond, 16-game. I was just wondering if it was something that was just always around on the periphery. It would, had just never been taken to the public. Like, Draymond definitely took it to the public.
0: Yeah. Look, like, I've heard, like throughout front offices, like, oh, this guy's a playoff guy, um, you know, versus a regular season guy. Like, we think we can win with him in the biggest moments. But, like, a lot of the time front office guys almost attribute it to mentality as opposed to play style. And I feel like where Dre, or at least, you know, whoever coined it, let's say, I feel like where Draymond – Got it right was attributing it both to play style and to mentality. Uh, it, you know, there are guys that are going to be able to switch defensively and they're going to be able to uh, hold up in the biggest moments on the court. You know, there there are guys who are tough and physical and have all the attributes that you want that just like can't hold up, right? Particularly like they, they bigs, can't, right? That's play really space. a yeah. yeah, or point guards too as well. Mm-hmm. Like smaller point guards often get hit as well. So, um, yeah, really.
1: Like, Lou Williams is probably a good example where, like, Lou Williams, like, he's certainly got a playoff mentality. Like, nobody's, like, crossing the mentality, but it's just, like, physically, the playoffs get here and it's just tougher for for you to survive.
0: Yeah, no, 100%. So uh, it's funny, too, that Devin Booker, it's not funny, but, like, it's interesting, I guess, that Devin Booker got hurt in that game because he was starting to get going offensively over the last week. When in reality, he's, like, not been incredible offensively throughout the year. But I think that, what Devin Booker has shown throughout this year as much as anything is real growth throughout the rest of his game. Like Devin Booker is not a negative defender anymore. Like he's just not he's if anything like a little bit above average now I think. Uh, You know he's a really really high level passer. You don't really see the like bullshitty, like over dribbling stuff that you would whenever he was younger. Um, And and this stuff all changed last season to an extent, but I think that it's gotten even better throughout the course of this season as well. Um, the, The fact that he is, the fact that they're on this winning streak while Devin Booker has been not incredible offensively, I think is just like crazy to me. It's absolutely nuts.
1: Yeah, I mean I think the play that 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 playoffs Olympics back to back for Devin Booker was such an informative time. He was ready for the playoffs, but I think for him to feel it, to to go through the nightly scouting reports that the playoffs, you know, the playoffs, you talk to, you know, people who have been through the gauntlet several times. It's like, it's two different worlds. Once you get to the playoffs, it's like genius level basketball compared to like, we're just doing like regular algebra essentially. And I think uh, that has just smartened Devin Booker to, you know, you could just tell how smart of a defender he is now. Uh, And then to go to the Olympics where, you know, he's kind of a role player. And I think, to you know, live in that role player environment at, at times is very good for him. And yeah, I think I, I agree with you. I, you could see that in his early season play and in their winning streak where it's like, yeah, it's not you, – you know, in the past, particularly when he was younger, it was like for the Suns to win, well, he just kind of had to score like 50. Now it's like he could score 23, but he might have had a really like large impact on every yep. area of the game and they're going to win the game because he was really good on the floor. Uh, and, you know, and, but you know what else you saw the other night with him out? Like they're just a complete team, you know. They can lose yeah. a guy and they're still really tough to play. To me, that wasn't like the Warriors let their guard down and like allowed an undermanned Suns team to beat them. It was like no, was like Phoenix was really tough for them to score against, even after Booker yeah. left.
0: No, I think that you hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, with the Warriors, I mean, what's the vibe around the Warriors right now? Because you're there every day. I mean, like, is it a situation where they're obviously like super pumped about the way the season is gone, and to an extent, they're waiting for Clay Thompson to get back and know even you know maybe take this to the next level like how how are how do we think the warriors are feeling about this entire thing
1: they're feeling very good. You know, it, it started in preseason. They had a 5-0 and preseason, and, like, they were just, you know, killing teams. They shot 69 threes in their preseason opener in Portland, and, like, the offense was just humming, and you could just felt, like, the different amount of space and also just the the increased level of, of offensive IQ with, you know, guys like Otto Porter, Bielitsa. Yeah. Um, you felt early on, like, oh, Draymond arrived in shape, which has been a huge thing. And the fact that they started winning early – just got took draymond to another level where like if you click on that championship possibility in his brain suddenly the game ends and you know they've talked about the game ends he sprints to the weight room and he's you know hammering out uh you know different uh workouts and and having smoothies and talking about how he's drinking less and you just see that hunger within him (laughs) and there's just a refresh mentality organization-wide where they i'm not like you didn't if you're them, you didn't want to have the last couple of seasons. You didn't want to be 15 and 50 and have Steph really break his hand badly and all that. Or even last year, like they were really, really wanting to get in the playoffs and, and try to, you know, give Utah a test in the first round. But I think the fact that, that those last two seasons went like they did, which was like vacation year in the, in the first year, obviously the pandemic, I think, you know, laid a lot of just priorities on the line and made them like relook at their lives a little bit. And then last year to just, fight but be kind of undermanned and kind of figure out who they had to be you know obviously um, they made some personnel mistakes last year uh, stylistic mistakes and then coming off of that the way they just revamped the summer, they made the right roster decisions. Steve Kerr is operating in a much more urgent way early this season. I mean, guys like Kaminka, yeah. who I've actually been impressed with in these like, little small sample sizes he gets on the court, he can't even really find minutes because they're just all about like what is going to help them win tonight. And Kerr is making like game to game adjustments really well. They've handed the defense over to Mike Brown, uh, and that's been a really good decision. I mean, they have a ninety nine point. Eight defensive rating, I think, right now, which is like would be the best in, in about yeah. It's yeah. just and you know Draymond is such a big part of that, and it's just everything's built correctly. And then at the same time, to to add you know add an extra layer, like they're watching Clay Thompson behind the scenes right now, and he's now been scrimmaging about for about three weeks or so, and he's starting to look really good. He went down to Santa Cruz the other day, played basically what was a full scrimmage, hit the game winning three, and all the reports out of there, including the coaches who were on the road trip, were able to see the film of it you know it was filmed they're like oh clay's looking pretty good you know and and (laughs) and it's like you i'm sure from the outside looking in sam you could probably sense the clay optimism rising yeah and and that is just leading to this warriors team that even has not only you know the thought process going in was like survive before you get clay back they're 18 and three and they're about to get clay back so i mean it's it's t- like, there's just a ton of optimism around them at the same time that they have three lottery picks who they actually kind of like, and they can't even, I mean, one of them still hurt, but the other two, I mean, that, and that's the only negative around the team right now. It's just the Wiseman situation. But anyway, to you. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm fascinated by the Clay Thompson optimism because it feels like
0: a, a lot of the time when injury stuff happens or like whenever you get a new player and that player hasn't played. Right. And I feel like almost with Clay, there's a bit of that, like where it's a – because he's been out two years, he's had two significant injuries, you just don't know what you're going to get. It's almost like having a new guy that you've brought into the roster. Not for the first time, but it's almost like, okay, we had P.J. Tucker six years ago. Um, Now we traded him and then we're bringing him back again. Right? Right. Uh, for a second go around like it almost feels more like that than it does like the typical oh yeah we're bringing him back and like he's been rehabbing with us the whole time but you know it's a a little bit of a different vibe now uh you can typically tell a lot of time when you start hearing the vibes around the team like hey we're trying to tamp down expectations we're trying to you know limit the whole deal and like you know just calm it down there's none of that going with clay right now like there's none of that. Yeah. That I've and
1: I, I've said this elsewhere, but you could start to feel a, feel it turn when he started really showing up in front of us because, you know, early in camp, the reporters would come in and clay would go hide uh, or clay would go mm. to a different part. You know, there's two different parts of the building where he could, work out uh, you know there's the main court there's the bunker that they have and just he didn't really like us around uh, and you know there were some people would be taping him he didn't like us taping We you know there were times where he was out there just even, even getting shots of him. He, you could tell he, he was grumbled he would say something to somebody taking a video and then that stopped and then he was out there more and then he was going out there in his full jersey before the game you know where it's like people are setting up like the nbc cameras for the game are like oh Clay thompson's here let's just take video of that and right. then that'll be uh in pregame and even during the game, suddenly it's on the broadcast, and to me, that was really signaling how he felt, how he was starting to feel. Um, and and he move, he's moving like Clay Thompson when we see him. Now, you talk to people, he tires quickly. Although the condi- the conditioning is getting better, but it's like you know, if he's three minutes into a scrimmage, he's huffing and puffing, and you know, if he is a fatigued Clay Thompson, he's not nearly as good coming off pin down. So much of his game right. is just dogged defensively he's going to be powerful he's going to give it his all he's going to rotate well he's going to uh, not stop running right that's the thing that's always been so great with him and Steph is like you know he's he's definitely without the on ball stuff he's basically Steph um and so he needs to get the conditioning back but like there definitely seems to be a sense of like physically he feels like he can do pretty much what he used to be able to do
0: yeah, and you brought up the Wiseman thing, which feels like is kind of the opposite at the moment, unfortunately. What is the vibe there? Because any anytime that I start asking like people around the league about it, like it just kind of gets I don't want to say quiet like it's a, you know, like a disaster or anything. It just doesn't feel like there's a lot of excitement like there should be for a second year player. Uh, That is, you know, injured, but is still you're hoping big things from to an extent because they, they like Steve Kerr, like really, I feel like genuinely does really like James Wiseman. It's not a situation where they don't like the human being involved and feel like they made a mistake with the human being. It feels like a situation where they're just bummed that he can't get back on the court. And then also like they just feel like he's losing drastic developmental time.
1: Yeah, and I mean he just is because uh, you know, COVID, but obviously everyone knows about the, co- you know, the college story was already a, a massive loss of developmental time, then right. COVID, you know, they they, in t- they they took an intake of people uh, testing. This was the COVID season, his rookie season, and boom, test positive, right. misses his first training camp. Uh you know how vital training camps are. Uh they still yeah. started him uh game 1. It was he didn't play in any of the preseason. They're like, "Eh, let's just throw him out there see what he does against Brooklyn on TNT." He actually had a pretty right. good night. Um but that over the course of the first month came to be obvious that that was a mistake to just throw him to the waters and um, not simplify his role. They were kind of, they were still having him try to run a lot of the warrior stuff as like a big and the pinch post and he's doing bogat DHOs and like, he just wasn't ready for that. And maybe, you know, maybe it was good for him to feel that and learn all the mistakes, but it definitely. yeah. It, it,
0: and like, as someone who saw him, like from the time that he's been like 16, he's yeah. never done any of that shit like no, ne- it, never it, done any. Yeah.
1: Of it. And again, maybe maybe 5 years down the line somebody will interview James Wiseman and he'll be like, "It was so great for me to feel that type of stuff," even though I was doing yeah. it terribly and it was making him look bad. I don't know. But it just created a chaotic developmental environment that you know, beyond just like miss- like missing time with injury, like it was just they didn't handle them well last year. And, like, it was a, it was a franchise that didn't – like, they needed to make those mistakes because they hadn't dealt with a top pick in so long, right? I mean, right. they were just getting 28th overall, Jacob Evans-type. Can we plug and play you as, like, our ninth man? Not, like, second overall raw centers with this just extreme skill set. So, like, that yeah. obviously went poorly. And then even in the moments where last season uh, – and there were some, like, brighter little patches for Wiseman as a rookie <laughs> – Every time he would, there would be a setback, he fell on his wrist on an alley-oop that he actually completed, and he was playing a really good game. Boom, misses like 10 games, sprained his wrist. Uh, comes back, it's not going well, he's, he seems a little behind again he, defensively, he's not seeing the pictures as well, um, but eventually he gets a little bit over that. They finally started running much more pick-and-roll for him. They went very pick-and-roll heavy with him and Steph uh, for about a five-game stretch. And it was, you know, in those little moments, it was going better, and then, boom, tears his meniscus. And then the thought was, they came out, they were like, we think he might be ready for training camp. Like, that was publicly said by them. Uh, In retrospect, they probably shouldn't have said that uh, because he was not ready for training camp. Missed a second straight training camp. He's never even had an NBA training camp at this point. Um, And then now... You know, for the right before they went on the recent or not even this road trip that I was just on a Phoenix, there was one, you know, a week prior to that where they were out on the East Coast for about eight days. They left they left Clay Thompson back in the Bay Area and it was the first time he was going to do fives. And they said, we hope Clay and James will be able to do fives together. That was the thought. And then we get on the road trip, and they're like, well, Clay was able to do fives day, which is a huge milestone for Clay. But they're like, James isn't ready. And now we're sitting here, what, two, three weeks later, and Clay's getting pretty you know, close, and you're hearing some really good things. And yeah. then you're like, well, what about James? And they're just, all they're saying is, oh, Rick hasn't cleared him yet for, for full contact. He's just doing individual stuff on the court. And he's around. You see him. And like they, there's been a lot of, like, he's got a great attitude about everything, and, uh, which I yeah, believe. Like you'll never hear
0: people yeah. say a bad word about James Wiseman. Like, just yeah. like as a human being, like re- really positive, positive stuff about James Wiseman as a human.
1: Yeah. And, but, but the problem is it, like the loss of development time, obviously. And then the fact that like they're building this like ship, this Titanic of a team right now yeah. without him. And, and he's going to come back and he's still going to be in this paused, like early stage of development. And it's, it's going to be tough to say, all right, now go play. On this like championship contender that it lives in with this identity of small ball read and react like you know passing and everything, and yeah. you know they're gonna try to find him twelve minutes, second unit, some pick and roll stuff with pool um I think you know that seems to be the sense I got, but I was getting that sense a month ago when it felt like he was much closer than now I'm like can he can he get in a scrimmage yet No okay, he still can't um so again, it is the one very like I guess you would say negative story going on around the team but it's just it's something to monitor because we're now nearly a year and a half into his career and that's just that's where it is
0: yeah part of me like I've been trying to figure out like would it be good for him to be in a situation where he can just play and play through mistakes or is it going to be better for him to be around guys like Draymond Green be around guys like Steve Kerr um even like Kevon Looney, like I think would probably be very beneficial to him just in terms of like learning where you need to be rotationally. Every single play, you're going to be there. He's always in the right spot. Even just seeing him from the bench, I'm sure, has been beneficial in some respect to James Wiseman. I think that I prefer that he stays there for the next like year and a half and we see how it goes because I do... Look, like the, the Warriors are the team right now in the NBA, I think, that among the elite certainly have the biggest latitude potentially to make like a significant move. They have all of Wiseman, Kaminga, Moses Moody if they really want, to where they could theoretically make a big deal if they decided to go down that road because they want to be a competitor. Right. They not only want to be a competitor, they want to take it to the next level to where they can be like the number one apex predator in the NBA. Right. And they might be that right now, even without that move. But they could like even take it to the next level, because if a star comes available, they are as well positioned as anyone to make a move. You would think James Wiseman would be a part of that, but. In terms of his development, like, I kind of think it'd be good for him to be around like the Warriors. Like, even if it takes a few years, he's still only 22. Like, next year, he'll still only be 22. Like, there's still so much time for him to figure it out. He's getting paid a shit ton of money. Like, just sit, learn, be around the team, hopefully get your 10 to 12 minutes whenever he gets back. I I just, I hope that that opportunity comes, I guess, is where I'm at.
1: Yeah, and I, there is organization – like, he's a priority in the organization. Some yeah, would say yeah, some yeah, would say too good. much, you know. I mean, because, you, you know, you're mentioned in the trades where I agree with you in the general, like, larger scope view of, like, man, they, if they cashed in. Um, but Well, part, part know, of the reason
0: that that hasn't, like, gone to the next level yet in terms of importance is that there's just, like, not the dude available right now. Right? Yeah. Like, the guy, the guy that they would make this big swing for is just, like, not out there
1: at yeah. the moment. But but even if he was like, they would have a really hard time. And I say they like Joe Lacob is top of the, this list, and he is the one at the end of the day that 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 gives the final green light. Like he yeah. he's been quoted as saying James Wiseman is a once in a decade prospect. You may disagree with him, but the guy in charge of the Warriors, or at least at the top right. top level of the Warriors, thinks that, uh, and still has that same belief. Um, and you know they've they brought in Dejan Milojevic from from you know Nikola uh, Jokic's yep. coach from Serbia, and like I see them working all the time post practice, doing a lot of you know I think very creative, good fundamental stuff with him. And um, their belief is that yes, what you're saying is like right, like by the time he's 23 24 he will look back and the basketball world will look back and go man this was a great developmental like situation yeah. for him even if he didn't show the world that he was a should have been the number 2 overall pick by you know season 2 uh, the belief is season 3 season 4 boom he's going to sparkle like Jordan Poole but like you know times right. 5 basically is that what they believe we will see um and they should believe that because they certainly don't have the other situation where they can just roll the ball up <laughs> To, you know, for thirty-six minutes to yeah. let him play, um, but the problem is he can't play five-on-five basketball right now, and <laughs> he still can't. And it's you know we're now more than seven months post meniscus surgery. Like it's just taken really long. Um, yeah. And for like they want to they 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 want to take a patient approach with him, but like for them to even start this patient approach, he needs to be able to play basketball, and that's the concern.
0: Let's, uh, let's finish really quickly on the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are just like one of the more fun teams that I enjoy watching in the NBA right now. Uh, they've won some like close games here and there. Like they won a game against the Pacers earlier this week by two points. They uh, beat the 76ers by like a point. They beat, um, I'm trying to think, like what was the other like weirdly tight game? They played like another weirdly tight game over the course of the last couple of weeks. And it was just like a really fun game. And then they've also just like had some crazy fucking offensive explosions that are just like the most fun to watch in the NBA. Carl uh, Anthony Towns had like a really scary fall last night. Apparently everything looks okay on that front. He might miss a couple of games here and there. Uh, but between him and Anthony Edwards, like there are very few teams that I enjoy watching more in the NBA right now than the Minnesota Timberwolves, just because every night you're going to get something that is at least enjoyable. And I don't know that, uh, look, I enjoy watching the Warriors probably more than any team in the league because their style of basketball is just incredibly fucking aesthetically pleasing. But like with Minnesota, it's not necessarily like incredibly aesthetically pleasing. It's more like almost organized chaos of like, Anthony Edwards explosions and Carl Anthony Towns uh just making and spacing the floor and being a mismatch nightmare and scoring offensively like the the whole thing is really fucking enjoyable.
1: <laughs> yeah, um to me t- Towns is really good, but he's not that fun. Uh, Russell is Yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. Russell is you know he could he could have a couple hot streaks. He had the ice in his veins. He had a couple of big shots against the uh, Sixers uh, in a double overtime win recently. Um, but you know I covered D'Angelo, who I like, but not really that fun to me. The fun is Edwards. Like he has yeah. injected life into this franchise. He is a great quote post game. He actually has the Minnesota crowd feeling like a good NBA crowd. I mean you know I've read some of the Krasinski yeah. stuff. It's like so to me. Like, Towns is obviously such a core piece, but, like, it's Edwards. Like, Edwards has changed probably your perception of the team from, like, you want to turn them on on league pass – um and you know, they played a game in uh, San Francisco, and it ended up being one of the more fun games of the season because, like, Andrew Wiggins was electrified and, like, dunked on Towns a couple times, and there felt like mini rivalry. And then uh, Edwards, I think, had 45 that night against, you know, again, like we have talked about, maybe the best defense in basketball, well, the best defense in basketball early this season. And then as he's sitting at, like, 38 or something like that, he's coming off a timeout telling Steph, like, I'm going for 50 tonight. Uh, it's just that attitude too, uh very, you know, they're they're not making playoff noise this year, but I'm ready to believe that they're gonna be in the play in and, and and theoretically could get into a one eight or a two seven if if it really goes well and then probably lose four one, but the one is Anthony Edwards scoring thirty eight in a playoff game at home in Minnesota, and then suddenly you enter the offseason with a much more life around that franchise than there has been in a long time.
0: Man, I'll say this. I might be in on them making the playoffs. Like, not to play in the playoffs. Like, six? Like, the being six? a top six seed, yeah.
1: Ooh, all right. Well, I mean, quickly. Uh, with, so, so, like, let,
0: let's – yeah, so it's
1: – The top three, three, are, three are Yeah,
0: yeah. you're talking Phoenix, Golden State, Utah.
1: Dallas, I'd say. I mean, probably.
0: I think Dallas is a mess. Like, they're a mess, like, but they're going
1: to – yeah. I just like, Luke they have that.
0: Luka. Kristaps has looked better over the last couple of weeks. But, like, I, I don't watch that team and go – Oh, this is coherent. You know what I mean? Like this. This yeah, makes sense.
1: I just mean over the course of the season, I would. I'm pretty sure Dallas is going to have a better record than Minnesota. Maybe. I mean, you might feel differently.
0: I, I think that they're closer than what I would have thought. I think I agree with you. I think they're closer than what I would have thought. I think Memphis actually is like very coherent and very like everything they defend. that they do. For makes... whatever reason,
1: they they can't defend this year. It's weird.
0: Yeah, I have some worries about them defensively in general, but like we'll see. Like I think Minnesota is like in their class. The Lakers, we just have no fucking idea. I think they're probably going to be fine when LeBron gets back full time, and they decide to like he really is back full time.
1: By the way, that that just came out. Um, he's tested negative a bunch of eight times, I guess, uh, and he's playing oh, great. Friday. Awesome. So, Three I mean, well, but 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 that doesn't mean it's all solved in Lakerland, right? I mean, like uh, not at to, all. Yeah. yeah. The whole,
0: the whole thing seems like a mess right now, but yeah. you have to assume that mm-hmm. they're going to get it together by midseason when they're used to playing together again. Uh, the Clippers are without Kawhi. It's a great story. I've really enjoyed watching Paul George. And uh, I think that he's a legitimate top five MVP guy right now, like carrying them to where they've been a top six seed in the E or in the West, like throughout the year. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep it up. I think Portland looks like a mess right now. I think that Denver is obviously a situation we talked about at the top. Not a great spot right now without Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray essentially for the rest of the year. We'll see if Murray comes back. And then the bottom of the West is really kind of falling off a cliff. Outside of maybe Sacramento, like maybe they can make a push. I mean, they've make already a push, fired but... a
1: coach, though, too, which is crazy. Yeah, Look, to, like. To your general point, especially laid out like that, the West is, is down. It really is. Yeah. And I'm I'm with you now, like especially if we laid it out that way. I'm with you now in believing that it's possible Minnesota gets to six. Are you ready to predict Minnesota gets to six? I'm going to say yes. I think that they
0: are. I think they are the sixth seed. And here's why. Defensively, they are really fucking good. And I don't think that it's like smoke and mirrors. I don't think it's anything because they have actual really fucking good defenders now.
1: Uh, a good coach. Jayden, a good they, coach, too.
0: They have a really good coach and Chris Finch. They look a lot more. Look, I said like it's like organized chaos now. That feels that way because you have D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards on offense and they're just so creative and weird about the way they go about things. But defensively, they're organized and they look really good. They have a lot of really strong, high-level point-of-attack defenders. They have a lot of really, really good help defenders, particularly in Jaden McDaniels and Jared Vanderbilt. Like I think having both of those two on the court, uh, maybe not necessarily together, but being able to play them uh, a substantial amount of minutes... It's been huge for them. Anthony Edwards has taken a leap defensively this year too. Like he's a bit, he falls asleep a bit off the ball from time to time and makes some mistakes, but he is engaged when he needs to be engaged, I think is the best way to put it. Um, Carl Towns has been fine on defense. I think Patrick Beverly has been pretty good um, to the level that you would expect Patrick Beverly to be defensively. Like they have actual... Tone setters on defense like Josh Kogi has missed like a little bit of time here and there. Like, I don't think he's played a crazy amount of minutes so far, but like he's a tone setter defensively on the ball. Um, Now that they have actual real defenders that have matured and developed around Carl Towns and Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. I I kind of I like the way that this team looks like I think they actually make sense now.
1: Well, mark this down, NBA media world. I believe, I got to say, I think you're the first voice to say Minnesota Timberwolves playoff. So that needs to be remembered if the Timberwolves go to the playoffs. So I'll say this. I
0: think that Bob Vulgaris said it a while ago. Like, I think, and I honestly, I was like, Bob, you're fucking crazy. (laughs) Like, I was like, there's, he said it like in the second week of the season. And then they went on like that big losing patch or whatever. And, I didn't I didn't believe it at all. Like I was like, "Oh, yeah, you know, this how is this going to work?" But man, that, I, I think that what they're doing makes sense. I think they have a roster that makes sense. I'm in. I'm I'm in on the Minnesota Timberwolves. I'm like I'm as surprised as everyone else is, I think at this point.
1: That might need to be the title of this podcast. I'm in on I'm the in. Minnesota Timberwolves.
0: I am I am in on the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh Slater, before we go, I ask everyone uh you know, have you watched any movies recently? Come on, give me, give me some. Oh
1: jeez, which one did I just recently watch? We watched one the other day. What just got came out? Like oh, oh, King Richard. King Richard. We watched the, uh, um, the one about S- Serena's yeah, 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 yeah. father, Serena and Venus. What'd you father. think? I th- it was good, you know. It was interesting because, like, obviously you know the the Williams sisters, but I, I I'd never and I knew the dad was a presence, but I yeah. never like read the backstory or or got a detailed backstory. I thought it was very interesting, you know. It, it very much detailed Venus, like you know, because Venus is the older sister. Venus was the younger superstar. Like Serena's character was like not really gone into that deeply, except there'd be a couple scenes where they're like. You know, the the father would go to Serena and be like, you know, I'm I'm bringing you up in the shadow to, you know, create your hunger. And like the funny thing is yeah. you're sitting there watching like this, this little one who they're not even paying attention to is going to become like the greatest of all time. It's interesting. I don't right. know. I, I just enjoyed it from number one, just a background standpoint, I, just to learn more about, you know, that rise. Um, and also, I thought it was well acted. I mean, you get Will Smith to be uh, you yeah. know, the, the lead actor. And I thought they, they casted well other than that. Anyone who hasn't seen it, I would suggest it. It was a good movie.
0: Yeah, the girl who played Venus Williams was really good. I think her name is Sanaya Sunday, something like that. She's She was really, really good. Uh, Will Smith was really good. I liked it. It wasn't like, look, it's getting like Academy Award buzz. I was like, I don't know if it's that. But Every
1: Everything gets Academy Award buzz these days.
0: Yeah, this time of year, too, right? Uh, it, it's going to happen. The thing that frustrated me about it is I don't know if it ever made a case for it to be centered around Richard Williams as opposed to Venus because... like it's the kids stories. Like the kids are the ones who accomplished this shit. Right. Like you actually made like the best case I've heard yet. Like it's a really interesting story in the background of these girls lives. Right. That a lot of people don't know about just Richard Williams being who he was. He was like a public figure at the time. But I think that maybe there isn't as much about the struggle that they went through during their early lives. But like even the parts of the movie, like that were more centered on Venus Williams. I thought we're just better like I had more fun like watching her try to figure things out like I thought that that was cool so I I think that what frustrated me is I would have rather watched the Venus Williams movie and not the Richard Williams movie
1: yeah and maybe there will be uh like it's funny they got to the end I'm like all right is there gonna be a you know part two where we can get more Serena um (laughs) but uh you know Venus and Serena were very much involved uh you know EPs of the whole movie so I guess that you know they really I think wanted to tell the story of their dad who they clearly feel was very influential and I think that the the movie does you know kind of show you how much of a driving force he was even if you know again we don't need to get too deep into like the, the psychosis of it all but you know again I would just if anyone wants to see it I thought it was a good movie.
0: I would recommend it too. like I I didn't like come away with it being like, oh, my God, like this is amazing. But I would recommend it like I think it was a nice little movie for sure. All right. Slater, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people where you can be uh, found on The Athletic, on the Internet in general. Where where do you want people to find you?
1: The Athletic is where I would say I put all of like the denser reporting that I do. And Sam, I think you would agree with me. I think people should subscribe to The Athletic. I think there's a lot of good content on The Athletic. It's a solid website. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I'll tweet those stories out, and I'll tweet out other, you know, more breaking news type of stuff and, you know, go on different podcasts, Warriors Plus Minus podcast. And I'm also on the Athletic NBA show on Tuesdays with Sam Amick and Fred Katz. Um, So those are different places to find me. But in general, I would tell listeners, subscribe to The Athletic. And if you want to read about the Warriors, you know, that you will read plenty about the Warriors on The Athletic.
0: There is no beat writer in the country that I think does a more comprehensive job of covering a team than Slater does for the Warriors. I thoroughly enjoy his work. Please go subscribe to his work. Use that promo code theathletic.com slash theory to do so. That is great. That is the best way to support the podcast, in my opinion. So we will be back Maybe later this week, maybe early next week, Penny and I have to record on Monday in the United States because he has a bunch of traveling to do for uh, Grassroots Circuit, which I guess starts up next week with Hoopall West, I believe. So it'll definitely be back by Monday night on, what, next week? But I might do another NBA one, depending on what happens over the course of the next couple of days. Thanks to Anthony Slater. Uh, until next time, we will talk soon.